Hello everyone and welcome to Nine Inch Charge. Welcome to the Old World Show. Today it is my absolute great pleasure to be joined by Ben of the Two Peas podcast. Welcome, welcome Ben. All right Dan, how you doing Ben? Yeah, really good. Thank you. Um, today we're going to talk about your most favouritist faction ever, aren't we Ben? Yeah, here we are, elves. <laughs> High elves. <laughs> I might giggle like a girl for the rest of this. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm so pleased to uh, to have you on, mate, because of all the people um, that I know in the hobby, I know that for you, the High Elves have such a special place um, in, in what the hobby means to you. So do you want to just um, just give us a bit of an introduction to yourself and, and your love for the for the High Elves? Sure. So, um, so I started um, Warhammer Fantasy um, with 4th Edition, so the 4th Edition box set which was um, Elves and Goblins, which is probably a decent chunk of the reason why I like or end up liking Elves as much as I do. Um, and and I'm, I'm pretty much that's the only army I've ever played. I've collected all the others as they sort of came in starters boxes, so I ended up with a bit of some dwarves and some goblins and some orcs and some um, empires and lizardmen and bretonians because they all came in the starters kit. But... It was all about the elves. It's all about the elves. What um, was it after you got the starter set and started to dive into this sort of this realm of the high elves that made them really stick with you? Well, I, I guess it's it's no mistake that they reminded me a lot of the elves from Lord of the Rings, and I just loved the elves from Lord of the Rings. Um, I loved the. I, th I think it's a really funny thing for a ch for a child to sort of attach to, but I love the idea of an immortal species, or effectively an immortal species, um, sacrificing themselves for a, like a noble or greater purpose. Um, so Helm's Deep in the film for me was just like, yes. um, <laughs> it's it's kind of largely comes from that, um, but also the artwork and the cleanliness of the army the sort of clean lines um the the discipline i think is something that i really liked as well like the the perfectly uniformed ranks of spearmen it's just great and um and i think the other thing was i liked the way they fought i liked the the fact that they were like undisputedly the most skilled warriors in the whole of the old world they might not have been the toughest or the strongest um but they were the they were the most skilled, so I kind of like that. <laughs> so. That's something that drew me to elves as well. The first box of Warhammer that I ever owned was a was a high elf box, and it was part spearman, part bowman. You could get them both inside of one box, and that was the first yeah. box that I had about twenty years ago. Um, and the That's same sorts were of things: a spearman and an archer on one little tiny sprue. <laughs> <laughs> And it's the same sort of thing that that drew me um, to them, as you just said. It was their their kind of nobility, and that they kind of they felt a bit like the, like the goodies, I suppose, like the heroes. They could be the heroes of the of the old world. And then after that, I decided to go a little bit more chaotic good, I suppose, uh, with the Wood Elves. And then I, I never yeah. looked back. But but the very first thing I collected in the hobby was was a box of High Elves, and I do have some of them actually still in my in my box of 
box of tricks <laughs> i've got some some little some of the little spearmen and archers in there still i know you have um maybe more than just one or two in your box of tricks then <laughs> well it, it, it it's a problem because <laughs> i am um, I, as much as i love them i um i was never able to do them justice for a long long time until maybe i started working for games workshop um I was undercoating in black and dry brushing and doing all the stuff that you did did back then when you started the hobby. Washes weren't a thing, really. Um, I had flesh wash, an armor wash, and that was it. And mm. um, and so they just looked dreadful. <laughs> so I ended up just collecting them. Every time a new box came out, I'd buy them. And um, and then eighth edition came out, and I decided that my units of sort of 10 and 20 should really be units of 30 because that's what all the pictures were of um and they look great so i've got oh, so many of them. <laughs> i can remember um the day that they announced that they were going to get rid of a lot of the range um the dragon princes and things like that and i think you were like my first call of the day i just was like, oh, i was like straight on messenger and i was like ben you've got to like start start mm. scouring and i think I think you did you manage to get everything that you wanted just just in time i, I did for the most part yeah it, it, it was it's probably the, the lowest moment with games workshop in the last five years just absolutely <laughs> blindsided and it's because a lot of those units like the new plastic white lions and the um and the sky cutters those things have been released when i was doing my junior doctor rotations in the hospital. I just didn't I didn't have any mind or brain space to even contemplate a hobby at that time. Mm. Um, so I didn't I didn't get anything. I didn't buy anything. And, and then of course you get back into the hobby and you're kind of you're on the, the treadmill of new releases and <laughs> Age of Sigma and and it was always oh, I'll get some of them I'll get some of them soon. And, and then they just all went. And I, I absolutely flipped my nut. I was on holiday as well. I was on holiday in an airport. Right? <laughs> and I was like in the in the hotel just before we were getting on the plane. And I was like, what the <laughs> James like, what's the matter? What's the matter? Something bad happened. And I was like, Yes, something terrible's happened. <laughs> um so then I paid an extortion amount, probably third, if not twice some of the units costs to try and get my hands on them um but i did in the end the good news is that in the last article that they released about warhammer the old world they said that you'll be able to use your pre-existing armies so that's something to look forward to with with all of these models that you managed to, to get your hands on well I, yeah i've been going around in circles with this army for about the last two or three years because they didn't we didn't have the um um lumineth realm worlds mm. so um I wanted an elf army, so I was like, oh, swordsman can count as this, and that can count as that. And now I'm like, well, do I really want the swordsmaster of Hoeth models to, when the, you know, the Lumineth have got really nice swordsmasters models of their own? And so, I, so I'm now probably going to go back and rebase them from circular bases back onto square, so I can use them in... <laughs> it's going to be on, man. If I get that army together and painted, <laughs> it's going to be big.
I am um, in a very similar place, as as you know. Um, I've carried my fifth edition Way Watchers all the way through my hobby journey, and at the moment they're on round bases, and they are my counts as Shadow Warriors to my Cities of Sigma, and now I'm eyeing up some square bases for them. <laughs> I'll get them back on squares and, and get them playing this game. But um, yeah, what we wanted to talk about today was was the law. So we're going to have a little mm. bit of chat about about the high elf law, what we know about what's going on for the high elves in the timeline for the for the game at the old world and just have a look at um they have been mentioned in one article um in the bretonian article there are some icons for them on the maps there so we're going to talk about that and then just say what what we really would like to like to see from them so just going through the different books and resources that we've got i mean ben you've got the books all the way going back to fourth edition on your shelf yeah, third edition the, oh, the original, yeah the original warhammer armies book um with the high elf alley contingent <laughs> <laughs> nice so we've been we've been scouring through that and um we've worked out that the phoenix king is still finnabar who um who was we normally got it catastrophically king. wrong thousand <laughs> yeah. years out but, <laughs> but we managed to, to work out that it's still the same old phoenix king that we remember from the game which is something good about being long-lived it's something that i spoke about with luke when i did the wood elf episode is that mm. a lot of the characters and units that you remember will still be there and they they won't have changed all that much and there's going to be something really nicely familiar about it even though the setting will be different and and new or old should i say yeah absolutely um it, we, i think i think we could safely say that there is no there is no high off character that they released that was not alive at the time that they're planning to do the old work so um that's going to be cool <laughs> yeah um i mean th there's a big part of me that's secretly very hopeful about this whole project because because I mean, imagine a new Altharian the Grim on a Griffin, mm. or or a new Tyrion, or a new Teclas, or a new um, oh, what's the name of the chap who's the White Lions guy? Corhill. Corhill, that's the badger. Yeah. yeah. So imagine all those in plastic with all of, all of their new, like mm. the way they go about design. I, I mean, I'm just at the moment painting up. Um, a Nighthawk army, and it, it still amazes me how like weightless they can make a model look now. Mm. You know? So yeah, yeah, I think so, we're going to see them all. I hope hopefully, hopefully we're going to see them all back. And I think we will touch on a few of them as we as we go along. But we're going to start with Finnabar the Seafarer, as he is known. Yeah. Um, Finnabar is a character from the old world who I really love, to be honest. I think what was great about him was is that he wasn't um, an, isola an isolationist like a lot of the High Elves mm. were, where they wanted to stay sort of in their island and just be a dying race on their own. He actually he actually reached out to the world and he went, that's why he's called the Seafarer, and he went and visited the old world, um, specifically parts of the map that we've seen, and he reached out to the Empire and to the Wood Elves, Bretonians, and even the dwarves believe it or not <laughs> mm. and it's great to see the high elf influence come come back and what was interesting about that is as we as we begin to approach the war against chaos actually that the elves 
under Finnebar, I don't, although they are still going to be haughty and arrogant and everything that they are, they're actually uh, useful and guiding. And um, Teclis comes over, for example, towards the end of the century and helps to mm -hmm. set up the colleges of magic for the for the empire to help them fight against chaos. Um, which is really interesting that they would actually, you know, under his rulership, begin to share these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, I think that's one of my favourite parts of their background is um, is is Teclas coming over and teaching teaching the humans out of magic. <laughs> and it went wrong from there. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a great little piece, and and. I've always liked Finnebar because there's bits of the, the high off background that I just always used to feel really sad reading about, like the War of the Beard. I just mm. like it crushed two species, two species that needed to be strong, who had much better enemies to be fighting than spending the best part of a thousand years kicking the snot out of each other. Yeah. And it just makes me sad. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> So Finnebar is kind of like the he's like the new the new hope, isn't he? He's like he's like mm. bringing the elves into the future, and um, you know, without really knowing that, in fact, it's kind of the last hurrah, um, mm. which I think is quite sad when you look at back back in retrospect. When I used to play, I used to feel like the elves were on the ascendant that. Mm. You know that there was a chance that the dark elves and the elves would sort of maybe sort of reconcile a little bit, or especially the wood elves and the high elves, and that you'd, we'd start to spread across the world. And you know, as in the the, the games which would explore other parts of the world, and we'd have a dynamic forward moving thing. But you know, the more I look back at that now. It could never really happen because every, you know every war against chaos was just getting bigger and bigger and bigger, mm. and you know the good races were only just surviving. So it was, I suppose, inevitable. But you kind of just don't want it to happen. <laughs> You're watching. You're like, it's a really interesting thing to say, actually, Ben. That I'd never really thought about. You know everything Finnebar was trying to do, and actually, its ultimate futility, and them not not having a clue about it. Um, yeah, that's really a really interesting point. But some of the stuff that you said there about um, strengthening of ties between the different elven races, that's something that we do see between the high elves and the wood elves. Um, there is a point where um, Araloth travels through the, the realm roots and it pops up in a in a forest um, just with some eternal guard, I think, and aids the the high elves for no, nobody really knows the reason why and then pops back um sort of without saying anything about it and there's a time really really close to to what's going on at the moment so in britonia at the moment um morga has been reborn who is the is like a beast man um legend of old who's like called the corrupter and he fights a war with the with the with the wood elves but it all kind of ends with him dying but the beast men overrunning athel lauren and it becomes winter and the forest is unable to defend itself it's just down to the elves but there actually aren't enough wood elves and a contingent of high elves are sent from Ulthuan to basically stop the wood elves from being completely overrun and without that help um 
they would have all they would have just perished as a race and there would be no more what else yeah it's a cool story isn't it hmm. you also you also get that wonderful moment right at the end where uh, was he called malekith at the time um or was he the new name they have for him anyway the um yeah malekith yeah malekith ends up becoming the phoenix king because finnegar mm. dies and um and his guard is made up of phoenix guard and black guard and it and it turns out unbeknownst to anybody that when those two units mixed all hell breaks loose they <laughs> 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 are like the coming of like of Mincha Kane himself is which I absolutely love. You know, the calm stoicism of the Fearness Guard mixed with the like the savagery of the Black Guard was just as good as mm. it got. And and I I've actually always wanted to do um a unit, a mixed unit of the two, which I might might mm. might still do because I just think it's a really cool moment. Yeah, there was that. Um, there was a lot of that going on in the old world. The kind of equal and opposite units uh, paralleled throughout a lot of the elven races. Um, yeah, and the books were written. I really liked the way the eighth edition books are written because they are all written uh, by Matt Ward. And what he did was he kind of carried the template from. I think he did the. I can't remember which book he did first, but all three books carried this kind of template where they were similar, but then also quite different at the same time. Yeah. Which was an interesting thing to see. Well, the, so. the, the Dark Elves always really were. Um, you know, there was always a unit. If there was a unit for the High Elves, there was a unit for the Dark Elves. Mm. It always used to aggravate me that their archers got basically extra shot for nothing, and they were cheaper. It was just but they couldn't, shoot in an, they couldn't shoot in an extra rank, Ben. And? Still <laughs> Do you think there was a little bit of like, like the Dark Elves always had their spies and, you know, you assume that the, the High Elves would always have their spies and they'd be like reporting back to the Phoenix King to his court and be like, they've got a new unit. Like, yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> get me the generals. <laughs> yeah, when they reported on the Witch Elves, probably a bit like, they, they do what? <laughs> <laughs> they, they wear what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I can't get over that thought. Um, <laughs> so they they have shown high elves in one of the articles, and they've got um, in the Warhammer community article called um, "The Old World: Your First Look at the Map of Bretonia." There are high elf enclaves, and I'm just going to read um, word for word the flavor text that it gives about them, and then we can have a bit of a thought about that. So it says. The High Elves of Ulthuan were once the undisputed rulers of the seas, maintaining a trade network of colonies and glittering port cities on every continent, from the Tower of the Rising Sun in the east to the Citadel of Dusk in the west. The coast of Bretonia was no exception, and the map features no fewer than four such enclaves. Tor Soleil sits to the northwest coastline, while Tor Beduze can be found to the southwest, just north to the, of the city of Brion. Meanwhile, Tor Motel and the Silent Arc can be found on islands just off Bretonia's west coasts. High Elves shouldn't be strangers in these lands, really, I think, because Finnebar has already reached out. There obviously will still be trade. Um, we know that the High Elves are trading, at least with the Empire, because the Empire have found their way to Orphan now. Their sailing ships have gotten good enough. They weren't really let anywhere 
past oh goodness me where do they not let them pass Lothen, yeah They're, so they let the high elves kind of they let the empire stop at Lothen and, and no further but there is some trade back and forth so i think it would be cool to see like you said you know you already talked about models such as the sky cutter and the sea guard and the sea helm and those are the ones that i i guess that we will see on these enclaves on the on the coastal regions of bretonia yeah absolutely yeah so um i'm gonna go right back to the start now so um one of the units and there is only seven in the original <laughs> list is is called the merchant companies um which is where the loth and sea guard come from and its description is that uh, these regiments are raised by merchant princes and are uniquely armed half as spearmen or halberdiers and the other half as archers hmm. so um whether they go back to them calling them merchant companies or they're called sea guard i think you're right i think i think it would be cool to see i mean we can speculate about this <laughs> like what models they're going to come out but it would be cool to see like though you know those people those folk that are living away from Ulthwa and have models and background and, and books with like heraldry and all that stuff it's very exciting isn't it? <laughs> i would and wouldn't love to see seaguard come back because i've just got memories of playing against dan's high elf army and the seaguard <laughs> they're just they're just it's unfair isn't it how good they are because they they fight in an additional rank because of their spear and then they fight in an additional rank on top of that because they're high elves and they always strike first and they shoot with their bows in an additional rank as well they're just absolutely phenomenal they're going to stand and shoot against you and then lay down their spears they might as well you know be pikes with the range that they've got on them for being high elves um they were a really cool unit i suppose but i i I've, that's one of the things that i that piece of back of, of background that or that rule that represents the background is one of the things i love about the elves mm. and one of the things that aggravates me so much about the empire is that fighting in a shield wall is is all about fighting in two ranks and a minimum of two ranks it i for me the the humans should have been phalanxes of pike you know mm. so you could get as many warriors in combat as they could so they could overwhelm whatever they were fighting at with multiple spears and the, but the elf background i think the reason why they didn't do that is because it allowed you to have the elves fighting in an extra rank because it it gave it made the elves look even more impressive, and you can imagine them like cycling their front rank and moving in the kind of mm. uniform way, so that they're always defending each other, and they're always, you know, I love it, and I love that kind of that thing on the battlefield where I used to love doing it with people like you get how many attacks? I'm like, yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. I think for me, the play style of the elves that um, that really represents them the most or, or the best was the always strikes first rule. And I'm going back to that scene in Lord of the Rings where the elves, you know, the scene I'm talking about, where all the elves are stood with their. their do I just... know the scene? <laughs> do, do I know the scene? If I watch Lord of the Rings, I've watched that bit five times before the film's allowed to continue. It's just great. As the charge comes in, they're just stood, like you said, they've got their sort of discipline and their stoicism. And just as 
as the enemy approaches them, it just before they can do anything, they've like struck the first rank just completely dead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's what I always used to think about the yeah, especially sword masters, the way they can, the way I they can, hold their swords are the same. I never remember the book that I read this in, but it was it stays in my mind as one of like the epitomes of elfness. And there's some negotiation going on, and there's an elf chappy and some swords masters, and there's a empire chappy and some great swords. And one of the great swords makes the mistake of reaching for his sword. And before his hand has barely even touched his sword, one of the swords masters has drawn his sword, cut his head off, and resheathed it. And I'm like, <laughs> there you go. It's like, it's like, I'm sorry, what were you doing? Like, let's continue with the negotiation and stop touching your sword. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. But for me, that and um, and do you remember the Mark of Chaos? Yeah. The game video. Yeah. The Shadow yeah. Warrior shows up and just wrecks face, not by being strong, but by putting like. It's dagger in the eye slot and like cutting out the hamstrings and just moving between them like fluid. It's just mm. those two things for me always strikes first. <laughs> <laughs> you better be wearing good armor because. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that's something that I'd really like to see in on represented on the tabletop again. And I'm sure they'll 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 maintain that. Um, they said they're they're looking through all previous editions and picking and choosing what they like the most and adding to it with with mechanics that they think will work you know on top of that to give us something new but going back to the law in this current time frame where everything is set obviously before the great war against chaos and um this is kind of bef before even britonia is is kind of a whole nation because it's still being overrun mm -hmm. by orcs and things it's not quite solidified as as it is and it's it's only a few hundred years since the High Elves even know the Wood Elves exist and, and things like this. What would you like to see explored in the lore in this world from a High Elf perspective? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think... Um, I think I'd like to... And I don't think this will come out in the army books, but I think I'd like to have stories about them watching the humans develop into nations because the reality is it, they've been around for like centuries mm. thousands of thousands of years and the humans have just been crawling around in mud huts you know they've been fighting amongst each other and it's, it's you can almost imagine them coming over and being like the vulcans like if they don't talk <laughs> with each other yet no i will we'll come back in a thousand years <laughs> That's a kind of to deal with them you're right it must seem a blink of an eye for them that the bretonians were just horsemen tribes rather than a nation mm. getting themselves together so i think i'd love to see their their kind of them watching the you know the the politicking them helping maybe like you know you can almost imagine the silver helms teaching the Bretonians had a couch a lance, for example, you know, it, mm. because you know they they've been doing it for thousands of years. <laughs> so mm. They kind of know how to do it, and and also going back to the War of the Beard, there's this there's such a massive amount of animosity between those two races that that although Finnabars come along and they haven't killed each other outright, 
you know, the first conversation, <clears throat> there's still a lot to get over. Mm. And um, and it's the first time the elves are going to be back in force or, you know, looking outside of their walls and cool to see the interaction between the doors and the elves. Yeah, that would be really cool. Um, I think the, it's, obviously it's still going to be uneasy, but there might be a situation where they're where they're forced together, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Out of desperation, I think, you know, because the high elves would have no idea the strength of the dwarves, but then the dwarves would have no idea of the strength of the elves. And mm. this is the situation really is quite dire for both of them, to be honest. And um and I've, I can't really ever remember reading about that reality hitting home. You know, when the dwarves realise, or the elves realise that the dwarves are, you know, sort of a shell of what they used to be. You know, there's massive citadels mm. got, uh, populated by maybe 10% of what they used to be. And, and the dwarves realising that those expeditionary forces aren't, you know, aren't like a surplus of warriors, not knowing what to do and leaving Ulthorn because they've just got so many of them there. They're actually like kind of the elves' last hope, really. They're like we said before, mm. like their last kind of attempt to un unite the races of good. You know, all those with a relatively good purpose compared to chaos. <laughs> like, so yeah, I think I'd quite I, like to see that. Yeah, I'd like to see. I'd love to see that, as you said, from a law perspective. Um, I'd like to see. Um, also from a law perspective, just some interaction with the Dark Elves and just even if it's something, you know, like a spy or an assassin or someone who is in one of these enclaves that they've got, you know, is there going to be a, a Dark Elf assassin in there somewhere? There's always going to be ones lurking and I always liked that idea of them having their rivalry and I'd like to see that come back and I know Jeremy would, he's been on the show a couple of times. Um, he loved all that sort of stuff. Um, I'd also... I'd also like to see um, a bit of a bit of an interaction between them and um, and the goblins, and you know, we know that Finnabar, you know, he's got um, he's got a rivalry with Grom the Paunch going on, <laughs> and things things like that, and they've been they've been fighting wars out between each other, and there's been different kinds of incursions, and um, like you said, although. Ulthuan is reaching out, it's still under constant threat of invasion from Dark Elves and Goblins and all, and Chaos and all these other forces. And it's a very it's a very fragile balance that they've got to try and maintain between keeping hold of what they've got and being able to reach out. And I think that's a balance that I'd like to see how they how they tread it and in a bit more detail than we've seen before. Well politically it, it makes perfect sense if you think about it, because if you strengthen the empire and the Bretonians and the dwarves and mm. become on better terms with the dark elves, you create a buffer between the wastes and yourself. So mm. like the Norse raids would get intercepted by <clears throat> empire fleets, for example, you know, before they got to old one, um, you know, they, it, it makes political sense as well as, uh, as um, just being a nice thing to do. I suppose they must be quite consciously aware of the fact that they're a dying race now. I think they've known for about a thousand years at this point that that their numbers are diminishing and and you know that's, that's probably another reason for it. So 
I guess they, like you said, they become the, the guiders and the influencers and the, the helpers to these young races. And that interaction has got to be something that we've got to see. Well, it's, I always find this frustrating. I always find this frustrating in Lord of the Rings, like dying race. Why? Are they, why? There are reasons. You know, <laughs> you're a thousand years old. Why haven't you got like 600 children? <laughs> you know, it, what, what's going on? You know, why, why are they a dying race? It, it makes very little sense why Elrond has only got three kids. Why have you only got three kids? <laughs> like, what's going on? It, it's, it doesn't it's not something Tolkien ever explored and I'm, and I think as a result it's not something that Games Workshop ever explored and really Games Workshop took a lot of their cues from about the High Elves from um, from Lord of the Rings. I mean Ulth One is effectively the undying lands if you're being honest. Mm. Um, so, so what I'm hearing Ben from you is that the setting of the game is in the wrong era and what they should do is they should go back and we should have no empire and no Britonia, and we should just have as you said men in mud huts and we should have the absolute glory of the high elf empire <laughs> and just watch them in their heyday kicking the, kick the snot out of chaos you know like yeah. putting put setting up the ward that protects the world forever you know right up mm. until the end it's one of the best bits of the, of the background that people I love talking to people about this when I was working in Games Workshop because no one ever knew it. No one ever realised that like, in the middle of Old One is like a circle of mages who've basically in stasis, like forever, protecting you know the world from chaos magic going absolutely apeshit. <laughs> <laughs> and you know the whole world, it, it, you know. One of the flaws of the, one of the great things about the elves is that they are really are flawed. Is you know they they struggle to have a conversation with a human without coming across as an arrogant ass. But in some ways, they've got a right to be. You know, when a, when a swordsmaster of poet is having a conversation with a great sword, and the great sword's like, "Oh, well, I'm pretty good," and the swordmaster be like, "Sure, yeah, okay." <laughs> Been doing this for like three thousand years, but sure, okay. Um, it, it's. You know, there's this thing always going to be back in the back of the elven mind that you're here because of the sacrifice that our greatest magicians or mages made. And you're mm. still here because of that. You know, and if we were to just turn that off, it would all go to pot. And and none of, no one else is aware, really. I can't think of, I can't think of any moment where, like, the humans suddenly realise the sacrifice the elves made. And go, oh, thank you. <laughs> like, it, so, yeah, because it, it kind of underpins their entire attitude to the rest of the world, which is like this this elven concept that effectively the world owes them mm. and never gives them anything back ever. <laughs> like, just, they just end up giving and giving and giving until it's the last thing that they do, and and I, yeah, it goes back to like the nobility of them. That you can, it's, it's why, in some ways, or it's why, in many ways, I tolerated them far more than I tolerated Eldar. That arrogance of Eldar aggravates me imme immensely because they made a chaos god. <laughs> they, 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 they've done nothing, literally nothing, to stop the overrun of chaos other than to mm. sort of pout about it um, after they made the biggest boo boo ever. Um, 
And in Warhammer Fantasy, yes, you know, you know, Slanesh was still created in some way, I think, by Elven excess. But you know, they kind of learned from it, and they made it. Mm. They made amends for it. They gave everything to stop it, and they, you know, it's brilliant. <laughs> it's kind of the great redemption arc, and 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 then they spend the rest of ever sort of living with this kind of this thing in the back of their mind that comes out over and over mm. again defines them as a race completely yeah i think another thing i mean we could go on and on and on and talk forever about this topic but just kind of the more you talk the kind of inspires me to talk and i was just think thinking about the phoenix guard and about how they fight right up until the end times and the thing you're saying about you know how they do everything and they give everything you know even if it isn't going to to go their way and the world is going to end anyway the phoenix guard must have known what was going to happen because they're witness to destiny and they they would have seen the end times unfolding you know in their mind's eye very vividly and still gave everything to fight until the end well it's one of my greatest it's one of my favorite pieces of north norse mythology is is the ragnarok and um um, the thing I like about it the most is that all of the gods know their role. They know what's going to happen to them. You know, Odin has told them. Odin has told Thor that you are going to die fighting um, Jormungandr. And um, and yet he does. He does it. He doesn't hesitate to do it mm. because that's his destiny. He knows it's his destiny. He's the one who, you know, defeats Fenris Wolf and Jormungandr. So, you know, there, there, there it is. And the the Phoenix Guard are the same. They know exactly, exactly how they're going to die, and they don't care for the job. You know, <laughs> they've made that decision that they are going to do their duty right up until the point where they can't do it anymore. It's, mm. And for, and it goes back to what I was saying was my original reason why I fell in love with them is is that this concept that when an elf in Warhammer risks their life, they're risking thousands of years. You know, they're giving up more than we could ever comprehend, really. It's difficult to comprehend. I mean, we, we get really upset about the idea of losing 40 years or 10 years, you know. and But for them, they're giving up eternity, effectively. Hmm. And and the, the Phoenix Guard epitomised that, although I never really liked the Phoenix Guard when I was younger. I, I could see you as a Swordmaster boy. I was a swordmaster boy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, twanging those arrows out the air. Yeah, it was it was um, a piece of art by Mark Gibbons with the swordsmaster just standing there with the sword. I was like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. good. Yeah, and I think actually going back to what you were saying, Ben, that's why it's such a crying shame and so frustrating when you're playing a game and something like a Skaven slave will come and skewer an elf and kill it. You just think no like it's if you're invested in the army um in the way that you know we both are with our with our own elf armies it is quite frustrating <laughs> when they when they don't go do what they should do and you think you know it is a tragedy every single time you know mm. one of these one of them dies and as you said it's another kind of another nail in the coffin for that dying race it's another elf that you won't won't ever get back so yeah, I think that that pretty much rounds us out. That's um, for the for the top chat about the high elf law today. Um, thank you very much, Ben, for for joining and 
sharing your thoughts and ideas and actually it went much deeper than i thought it was going to go it was really <laughs> really really interesting and just a great chat so no it was if, loved it if you'd like to hear more of ben's insights do go and check out his wonderful podcast the two peas podcast it is a hobby podcast that covers just about everything really you do really great hobby tips on the hobby desk and they talk about the mortal realms and they have been talking about the old world of late and 40k and and other games and local events and um as you can see from from this ben's insights are just um fantastic and um there's also another guy on the podcast who um who chips in now and again <laughs> <laughs> the cornish one <laughs> yeah. people get confused because i'm the one from cornwall but he sounds more cornish so they're like <laughs> yes, <you're always> <laughs> yeah well, thank you again, Ben, and um, thank you everyone who watched, and thank you especially to everybody who made it this far through our ramblings. And uh, Ben is going to join us again to talk about our favourite high elf units from old, who we'd like to see brought back into the game. So, be sure to check that out next time. <laughs> see ya. See you later, guys.